International Short Stories, Volume 1, American Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Green in Tampa, Florida. International Short Stories, Volume 1, American Stories. Edited by William Patton. Section 17. A Kentucky Cinderella by F. Hopkinson Smith. I was bending over my easel, hard at work upon a full-length portrait of a young girl in a costume of fifty years ago, when the door of my studio opened softly and Aunt Chloe came in. "'Good morning, sir. I didn't think you'd come today, being a Sunday,' she said with a slight bend of her knees. "'I'd just sweep up a little mite. Don't you move. I won't disturb you.' Aunt Chloe had first opened my door a year before with a note from Marnie, a brother brush, which began, Here is an old southern mammy who has seen better days. Paint her if you can, and ended with, Anyway, give her a job. The bearer of the note was indeed the ideal mammy, even to the bandana handkerchief bound about her head, and the capacious waist and ample bosom the lullaby resting place for many a child, white and black. I had never seen a real one in the flesh before. I had heard about them in my earlier days. Daddy Billy, my father's body servant, and my father's slave, who lived to be ninety-four, had told me of his own Aunt Myrie, who had died in the old days, but too far back for me to remember. And I had listened when a boy to the traditions connected with the plantations of my ancestors, of the Keziahs and Mammy Crouches and Mammy Janes. But I had never looked into the eyes of one of the old school until I saw Aunt Chloe, nor had I ever fully realized how quaintly courteous and gentle one of them could be, until, with an old-time manner born of a training seldom found outside the old southern homes, she bent forward, spread her apron with both hands, and with a little backward dip had said, as she left me that first day, "'Thank you, sir. I'll come every Sunday morning. I'll do my best to please you, and I specs I can.' I do not often work on Sunday, but my picture had been too long delayed, waiting for a faded wedding dress, worn once by the original when she was a bride and which had only been found when two of her descendants had ransacked their respective garrets. "'Must be mighty drive, sir,' she said, "'a-workin' on the Sabbath day.' "'Golly, but that's a pretty lady,' and she put down her pail. "'I see it last Sunday when I come in, but she didn't have them ruffles round her neck then that you done give her. Claire to goodness, that child looked like she was just a-gwine to speak.' Aunt Chloe was leaning on her broom, her eyes scrutinizing the portrait. "'Well, if that don't beat the land, I ain't never seen none of dem frocks since the old times, and dem little low shoes with the ribbons crossed on the ankles. She's the living personification. She is so for a fact. Mm -mm. It is difficult to convey this peculiar sound of complete approval in so many letters. "'Did you ever know anybody like her?' I asked. The old woman straightened her back. 
and for a moment her eyes looked into mine. I had often tried to draw from her something of her earlier life, but she had always evaded my questions. Marnie had told me that his attempts had at first been equally disappointing. Body as old as me, sir, seen a plenty of people. Then her eyes sought the canvas again. After a moment's pause, she said, as if to herself, "'Used a real quality, child. That you is. Every speck and spinch of you.' I tried again. Does it look like anybody you ever saw, Aunt Chloe? It do, and it don't, she answered critically. The feet is like hern, but the eyes ain't. Who? Oh, Miss Nanny. And she leaned again on her broom and looked down on the floor. I heaped up a little pile of pigments on one corner of my palette and flattened them for a highlight on a fold in the satin gown. Who was Miss Nanny? I asked carelessly. I was afraid the thread would break if I pulled too hard. One of my chillin, honey. A peculiar softness came into her voice. Tell me about her. It'll help me get her eyes right, so you can remember her better. They don't look human enough to me anyhow, this last to myself. Where did she live? Where they all live? Down in the big house. She warn't Mars Henry's real child, but she come of the blood. She didn't have dem kind of shoes on her footsies when I first see her. But she wore em when she left me, that she did. Her voice rose suddenly and her eyes brightened. And dem ain't nothing to the way they shined. I ain't never seen no satin slippers shine like dem slippers. They was just a blaze. I worked on in silence. Marnie had cautioned me not to be too curious. Some day she might open her heart and tell me wonderful stories of her earlier life, but I must not appear too anxious. She had become rather suspicious of strangers since she had moved north and lost track of her own people, Marnie had said. Aunt Chloe picked up her pail and began moving some easels into a far corner of my studio and piling the chairs in a heap. This done, she stopped again and stood behind me, looking intently at the canvas over my shoulder. My, my, ain't that the very image of that frock? I can see it now, just as Miss Nanny come down the stairs. But you got to put that gold chain on it for it gets to be the very express image. I had it round my own neck once. I knew just how it looked. I laid down my palette and, picking up a piece of chalk, asked her to describe it so that I could make an outline. It was long and heavy, and it wound round the neck twice and hung down to the waist, and that watch on the end of it, well, I ain't seen none like that one since. I clared you it was just as teeny as one of them little biscuits I used to make for when she come in the kitchen, and she was there most of the time. They didn't care nothing for her much let her go round barefoot half the time, and her hair a-flying. Only one good frock to her name, and that warn't nothing but calico. I used to wash that many a time for her long fore she was out in the bed. All this makes my blood bile to this day whenever I think of the way they treated that child. But it didn't make no difference what she had on, shoes or no shoes. Her footses was that little, and pretty 
with her big eyes and her cheeks just as fresh as them rosewater roses that I used to snip off for old Sam to put on the table. Oh, I tell you, if you could picture her like that, there wouldn't be nobody clear from here to glory come nigh her. Aunt Chloe's eyes were kindling with every word. I remembered Marnie's warning and kept still. I had abandoned the sketch of the chain as an unnecessary incentive, and had begun again with my palette-knife, pottering away, nodding appreciatingly, and now and then putting a question to clear up some tangled situation as to dates and localities, which her rambling talk had left unsettled. Yes, sir, down in the bluegrass country near Lexington, Kentucky where my old master, Mars Henry Gordon, lived, she answered to my inquiry as to where this all happened. I used to go every year to see him after the war was over, and kept it up till he died. There weren't nobody like him then, and there ain't none now. He weren't never spiteful to chillin, white or black. Everybody knowed that. I was a pickaninny myself, and I belonged to him, and he ain't never laid a lick on me, and he wouldn't let nobody else do it another except my mammy. I remembers one time when Aunt Dinah made a cake that old Sam, he were a heap younger then, couldn't put on the table cause there was a piece broke out in it. Sam he riz, and Dinah she riz, and after they all called each other all the names they could lay their tongues to, Miss Anne, my own first mistress, come in and she said them chillin took that cake, and tain't nary one of you that's responsible. "'What's this?' says Mars Henry. "'Chillin', stealin' cake? "'Send em here to me.' "'When we all come in, "'there was six or eight of us, "'he says, "'Every one of you look me in the eye. "'Now which one took it?' "'I kept looking away, first on the floor, "'then out the windy. "'Look at me,' he says again. "'You ain't looking, Clorindy.' "'Then I catched him watching me. "'Now you all go out,' he says and the one that's guilty can come back again. Then we all went out in the yard. You tell him, says one. No, you tell him. And that's the way it went on. I knowed I was the worstest, for I opened the door the sideboard and gin it to the others. Then I thought, if I don't tell him, maybe he'll lick the whole parcel on us, and that ain't right. But if I go tell him and beg his humble pardon, he might let me go. So I crept round where he was settin' with his book on his knee. Aunt Chloe was now moving stealthily behind me, her eyes fixed on her imaginary master, head down, one finger in her mouth. And I say, Mars Henry. And he look up and say, Who's that? And I say, That's Clorindy. And he say, What you want? Mars Henry, I come to tell you, I was hungry, and I see the door open, and I shove it back, and took the piece of the cake, and I thought, maybe if I done told you, you'd forgive me. Then you is the ringleader, he says, and you tempted the other children? Yes, I says, I speck so. Well, he says, looking down on the carpet, now that you has professed and begged pardon, you was good and ready to pay attention to what I'm going to say. The other children had sneaked up and was listening. They expected to see me get it, though they ain't nearly one of them ever known him to strike em a lick. Then he says, This here is a little thing. 
dis stealin' a cake, and it's a big thing at the same time. Miss Anne has been right smart put out about it, and I'm going to see that it don't happen again. If you see a pin on the floor, you wouldn't steal it. You'd pick it up if you wanted it, and it wouldn't be nothing cause somebody throwed it away, and it was free to everybody. But if you see a piece of money on the floor, you knowed nobody didn't throw that away. And if you pick it up and don't tell, that's something else. That's stealing. Cause you took something that somebody else had paid something for and that belongs to him. Now this cake ain't a much count, but it weren't yourn, and you oughtn't to took it. If you'd asked your mistress for it, she'd gin you a piece. There ain't nothing here you chillin' don't give when you ask for it. I didn't say nothing more. I just waited for him to do anything he wanted to me. Then he looks at the carpet for a long time, and he says, I reckon you won't take no more cake without asking for it, Clorindy, and you chillin can go out and play again. The tears were now standing in her eyes. That's what my old master was, sir. I ain't never forgot it. If he had beat me to death, he couldn't have done no more for me. He just blamed to me, and I ain't never forgot since. Did your own mother find it out, I asked? The tears were gone now. Her face was radiant again at my question. That she did, sir. One of the children done told on me. Mammy just made one grab as I run past the kitchen door and reached for a barrel stave, and she fairly sought me afire. Aunt Chloe was now holding her sides with laughter, fresh tears streaming down her cheeks. But Mars Henry never knowed it. Lord, sir, there ain't nobody round here like him, nor never was. I can remember him now, same as it was yesterday, with his white hair, and he is settin' in his big chair. It was the last time I ever see him. The big house was gone, and the colored people was gone and he was dat poor he didn't know where the next mouthful was coming from i come out behind him so aunt chloe made me her old master and my stool his rocking chair and i pat him on the shoulder this way and he say chloe is that you how is it you look so comfortable like and i say it's you mars henry you done it all your teaching made me what i is and if you study about it, you'll know it's so, and the others ain't no worse. Of all the colored people you owned, they ain't nary one been hung or been in the penitentiary, nor ain't known as liars. That's the way you fotch us up. And I love him yet, and if he was a-living today, I'd work for him and take care of him if I went hungry myself. The only fool thing Master Henry ever done was a marrying that widow woman for his second wife, Miss Nanny, that looks a little bit like that child you got there before you, and she pointed to the canvas, wouldn't have been sot and abused like she was but for her. That woman warn't nothing but a harp-strainer no way, if I do say it. Everybody know that, how Mars Henry Gordon come to marry her and nobody knowed her this day. She warn't none of our people. They do say that he met her up to Frankfurt when he was in the legislator, but I don't know if that's so. But she warn't nothing nohow. Was Miss Nanny her child? I asked, stepping back from my easel to get the better effect of my canvas. No, sir, that she warn't. 
with emphasis. She was Moss Henry's own sister's child, she was. Her people, Miss Nanny's, lived up in Indiany, and they was just as poor as watermelon rinds. And when her mother died, Mars Henry sent for her to come live with him, cause he said Miss Rachel, that was that woman's own child by her first husband, was lonesome. They was both about the one age, fourteen or fifteen years old, but Lord a massy! Miss Rachel warn't lonesome, except for what he couldn't get, and she most broke her heart about that, much as she could break it about anything. I remember the fair day Miss Nanny come. I see her coming down the road, toting a big bandbox and a carpet bag most big as herself. Then she turned in the gate. For God, I says to old Sam, who was setting the table for dinner, who's this year coming in? Then I see her stop and set the bundles down and catch her breath, and then she come on again. That's Mars Henry's niece, he says. I heard the mistress say she was a-coming one day this week by the coach. I see right away that that woman was up to one of her tricks. She didn't tend to let that child come no other way except like a servant. She was that dirt mean. Oh, you needn't look, sir. I ain't meanin' no one respect. But I know that woman when Mars Henry first married her, and she ain't never fooled me once. First time she come into the house, she walked plumb in the kitchen, when me and old Sam and old Dinah was a-eatin' our dinner, we settin' at the table like we used to did, and she flung her head up in the air, and she says, After this, when I come in, I want you niggers to get up on your feet. Think of that, will you? Mars Henry never called near one of us nigger since we was pickin' I know then she warn't accustomed to nothin'. But I tell you, she never put on them kind of airs when Mars Henry was about. No, sir. She was always mighty sugar-like to him when he was home. But there ain't no conniption she warn't up to when he couldn't hear it. She had pretty nigh riz the roof when he done tell her that Miss Nanny was a-coming to live with him. But she couldn't stand again him, for warn't her only daughter, Miss Rachel, living on him? And not only Miss Rachel, but lots more her people where she come from. Well, sir, as soon as old Sam said what child it was that was a-coming down the road, I dropped my dishcloth and I run out to meet her. Is you Miss Nanny, I says, give me that bag, I says, and that box. Yes, she says, that's me. And ain't you Aunt Chloe what I heard so much about? Honey, you ain't never going to get the kind of look on that picture you was working on there, sir, as sweet as that child's face when she said that to me. I loved her from that first minute I see her, and I loved her ever since, just as I love her mother before her. When she got to the house, me a-totin' the things on behind, the mistress come out on the porch. Oh, that's you, is it, Nanny, she says. Well, Chloe'll tell you where to go. And she went straight in the house again, never kissed her, nor touched her, nor nothing. Old Sam was a pilot. He heard her say it, and if he was alive he'd tell you same as me. Where's she going to sleep, I asked, calling after her. Upstairs, along with Miss Rachel? I was getting hot myself, though I didn't say nothing. No, she says. 
flinging her head up like a goat. My daughter needs all the room she's got. You can take her downstairs and fix up a place for her alongside of you and Dinah. She was the old cook. Come along, I says, Miss Nanny. And I dropped a curtsy, same as if she was a princess. And so she was. And Mars Henry's own eyes in her head. Enough like him to be his own child. I'll have everything ready for you, I says. You wait here and take the air. And I got a chair and sat her down on the porch. And old Sam brung her some cake. And I went to get the room ready. The room off the kitchen pantry where they puts the overseers chillin' when they come to see him. Pretty soon Miss Rachel come down and went up and kissed her. That is, Sam said so, though I ain't never seen her kiss her that time nor no other time. Miss Rachel and the mistress was both split out of the same piece of kindling, and what one was again, t'other was again. A blind man could see that Miss Rachel never liked Miss Nanny from the first. She was that cross-grained and pernickety. No matter what Miss Nanny done to please her, it weren't good enough for her. Why, do you know, when the other children come over from the next plantation, Miss Rachel wouldn't send for Miss Nanny to come in the parlor. No, sir, that she wouldn't. And they'd run off and leave her, too, when they was gwine picnicking, and treat that child audacious, saying she was poor white trash and charity child and things like that, till I would go and tell Mars Henry about it. Then there'd be a ruction and Mars Henry'd blaze out, and just soon as he was off again to Frankfurt, and he was there most of the time, for he was one of these year old-timers that they couldn't get along without at the legislature. They treat her worse than ever. Soon's Dinah and me see that, we keep Miss Nanny along with us much as we could. She'd eat with them when there weren't no company around, but that was about all. Did they send her to school? I asked fearing that she would again lose the thread. My picture had a new meaning for me, now that it looked like her heroine. No, sir, that they didn't, except to the schoolhouse at the crossroads, where everybody's chillin' went. But they sent Miss Rachel to a real hidey-tidy school, that they did, down to Louisville. Two winters she was there, and every time when she come home for holiday times, she had more airs than when she went away. Mars Henry wanted both children to go, but that woman outdid him, and she faced him up and down that there weren't money enough for two, and that her daughter was the fittest and all that, and he give in. I didn't hear it, but old Sam did, and his hand shook so he most spilt the soup. But law, honey, that didn't make no difference to Miss Nanny. She'd go off by herself with her books and sit all day under the trees and sing to herself just like a bird, and they'd sing to her. And all that time her face was a-beaming and her hair shining like gold, and she a-growing taller, and her eyes getting bigger and bigger and brighter, and her little footses white and cunning as a rabbit's. The only place where she did go outside the big house was over to Miss Morgan's, who lived on the next plantation. Miss Morgan didn't have no chillin' of her own, and she'd send for Miss Nanny to come and keep her company. She was dat dead lonesome, and they was glad enough to let the child go so they could get her out of the house. 
Old Sam always said dat, for he heard em talk at de table and knowed what was gwine on. Pretty soon, long come de time when Miss Rachel done finish her education, and she come back to de big house and sot herself up to see company. She warn't bad looking in dem days, I must say, and if dat woman's spirit hadn't been in her, she might have pulled through. But there warn't no fetchin' up could stand again dat blood. Miss Rachel get dat ornery dat you couldn't do nothin' with her, just like her ma. The first real out-and-out beau she had was Dr. Tom Bowling. He lived about fourteen miles out of Lexington on the big plantation and was the richest young man in our parts. His pa had died about two years before and left him more money than he could throw away, and he'd just come back from Philadelphia where he'd been a-learning to be a doctor. He met Miss Rachel at a party in Louisville, and the first Sunday she come home he driv over to see her. If you could a seen the mistress when she see him comin' in the gate, all his riding boots and his yellow breeches and bottled green coat, and his servant a riding behind to hold the horses. Old Sam and me was a watchin' the mistress peekin' through the blind at him, her eyes a blazin', and Sam laughed so he had to stuff a napkin in his mouth to keep her from hearin' him. Well, sir, that went on all the summer. Every time he come, the mistress be that sweet, most make a body sick to see her, and when he'd stay away, she was that pesky, there warn't no livin' with her. Of course, there was plenty more Jim and courtin' Miss Rachel, too, but none of them didn't count with the mistress except the doctor, cause he was rich. That's all there was to it, cause he was rich. I tell you, old Sam had to tell many a lie to the other gentleman, saying, Miss Rachel was sick or something else when she was a-waitin' for the doctor to come and was feared he might meet some of em and get scared away. Miss Nanny, she'd watch him too from behind the kitchen door or scrunch down looking over the pantry window-sill, and then she'd tell Dinah and me what he did and how he got off his horse and hand the reins to the boy and slap his boots with his riding whip like he was a dustin off a fly and she'd act it all out for me and dinah and slap her own frock and then she'd laugh to fit to kill herself and dance all around the kitchen would you believe it no they ain't nobody'd believe it they never asked her to come in once while he was in the parlor and they never once told him that Miss Nanny was a-livin' on top side of the earth. Course, people gin a talk, and everybody say that Dr. Bowling was gettin' nice to coon, and the first thing they know there would be a weddin' in the Gordon family. And then again, there was plenty more people said he was only passin' the time with Miss Rachel, and that he come to see Mars Henry to talk politics. Well, one day, sir, I was standing in the door, and I see him come in afoot without his horse and servant, and step up on the porch quick and rap at the door like he say to himself, Let me in. I'm in a hurry. I got something on my mind. Old Sam was just a-going to open the door for him when Miss Nanny come a-running in the kitchen from the yard her cheeks like the roses, her hair a-flying, and her big head a-hanging to a string down her back. I gin Sam one look, 
and he stopped. And I says to Miss Nanny, Run, honey, I says, and open the door for old Sam. I speck, I says, it's one of them peddlers. If you could have seen that child's face when she come back. Aunt Chloe's hands were now waving above her head, her mouth wide open in her merriment, every tooth shining. She was white one minute and red as a beet the next. Oh, Aunt Chloe, what did you let me go for, she says. Oh, I wouldn't let him see me like this for anything in the world. Oh, I am that put out. What did he say to you, honey? I says. He didn't say nothing. He just look at me and say he begged my pardon and was Miss Rachel in. And then I said I'd run and tell her. And when I come downstairs again, he was a-standin' in the hall with his eyes up the staircase, and he never stopped looking at me till I come down. Well, that won't do you no harm, child, I says. A cat can look at a king. Old Sam was a-watchin' her, too, and when she'd gone in her little room and shut the door, Sam says, I'll lay if Mars Tom Bowling had anything on his mind when he come here today, it's mighty unsettled by this time. Next time Dr. Tom Bowling come, he say to the mistress, Who's that young lady, he says, that opened the door for me last time I was here? I hope to see her again. Is she in? Then they both cooked up some lie about her being over to Miss Morgan's or something, and soon's he was gone, they come down and riz Sam for not tending the door and letting that ragged flyaway gal open it. Then they went for Miss Nanny till they made her cry, and she come to me, and I took her in my lap and comforted her like I always did. The next time he come, he says, I hear that your niece, Miss Nanny Barnes, is living with you, and that she very exclusive. I hope that you'll swayed her to come in the parlor, he says. There was his very words. Sam was standing close to him as I am to you, and he heard him. She ain't yet in society, the mister says, and she's that wild that we can't present her. Oh, is that so, he says. Is she in now? No, she says. She's over to Miss Morgan's. That was a fact this time. She gone that very morning. Then Miss Rachel come down, and course Sam didn't hear no more cause he had to go out. Pretty soon, out the doctor come. These visits, mind you, was getting shorter and shorter, though he do come as often, and over he goes to Miss Morgan's hisself. Now, I don't know what he said to Miss Nanny or what passed twixt em, cause she didn't tell me. Only that she said he had come to see Miss Morgan about some land matters, and that Miss Morgan introduced em, but nothing more. Lord bless that child, and, sir, that was the first time she ever kept anything from her old mammy. That made me more glad than ever. I know then they was both hit. But, my Lord, the fur began to fly when the mistress and Miss Rachel heard about that visit. What you mean making eyes at Dr. Bowling? Don't you know he's good as gauge to my daughter, the mistress said. That was a lie, for... He never said a word to Miss Rachel. Old Sam could have told you that. Get out of my house, you good-for-nothing pauper, 
and take your rags with you. I see right away the fat was in the fire. Mars Henry warn't expected home till next Sunday, and so I took her over to Miss Morgan, and then I ups and tells her everything that woman had done to that child since the day she come. And when I done, she took Miss Nanny by the hand, and she says, You won't never want a home child so long as I live. Go back, Chloe, and get her clothes. But I didn't get em. I knowed Mars Henry'd raised a roof when he come, and he did, bless your heart. Went over hisself and got her and brought her home, and that night when Dr. Bowling come, he made her sit down in the parlor, and before he went home that night, the doctor, he said to Mars Henry, I want your permission, Mr. Gordon, to pay my addresses to Miss Nanny, your niece. Sam was a-standing close as he could get to the door, and he heard every word. Now, he ain't never said that, mind you, to Mars Henry about Miss Rachel, and that's why I know that he warn't hit unto death with her. Well, do you know, sir, that that woman was that audacious, she wouldn't let em see each other after that except on the front porch, wouldn't let em come in the house, make em do all their courtin' on the steps and out at the pasture gate. The doctor would rare and pitch and get white in the face at the scandalous way that Miss Barnes was being treated, until Miss Nanny put both her little hands on his'n, soothing-like, and then he'd grab em and kiss em like he'd eat em up. Sam cotched em at it, and he done told me, and then they'd saunter off down the porch, saying it was too hot or too cool, or that they was looking for birds' nests in the porch vines till they'd get to the far end where the mistress nor Sam nor nobody else could hear what they was a-saying and a-whispering, and there they'd sit for hours. But I tell you, the doctor had a hard time a-getting her, even when Mars Henry gin his consent, and he never would a got her if Miss Rachel, just for spite, I spect, hadn't a-took up with Colonel Todd Hunter's son that was a-courtin' on her too, and run off and married him. Then Miss Nanny knowed she was free to follow her own heart. I tell you, it'd a made you cry your eyes out, sir, to see that child try and fix herself up to meet him the days and nights she knowed he was a-comin', and she was just one white frock to her name, and we all felt just as bad as her. Dinah would wash it, and I'd smooth her hair, and old Sam would get a fresh rose to put in her neck. Pretty soon the wedding day was painted, and me and Dinah and old Sam began to wonder how that child was a-gwine to get clothes to be married in. Sam heard old Marster ask that same question at the table, and he see him give the mistress the money to buy em for her, and the mistress said that she reckoned Miss Nanny's people would want the privilege of dressing her now that she was a-gwine to marry that worthless young doctor Tom Bowling that nobody would have in the house but that if they didn't, she'd gin her some of Rachel's clothes, and if them weren't enough, then she'd spend the money to the best advantage. Them was her very words. Sam here to say em. I know that meant that the child would go naked, for she wouldn't have worn none of Miss Rachel's rubbish, and not a cent would she get of the money. So I got that old white frock out, and Diana found a white ribbon in an old trunk in the garret. And 
washed and ironed it to tie round her waist, and Miss Nanny come and look at it, and when she see it, the tears riz up in her eyes. Don't you cry, child, I says. He ain't loving you for your clothes, and never did. First time he see you, you was putting on barefoot. It's you he wants, not your frocks, honey. And then the sun come out on her face, and her eyes dried up, and she gin a smile and sing like a robin after the rain. Pretty soon, long come Christmas time, and me and old Sam and Dinah was watching out to see what Mars Tom Bolin was going to gin his bride, for she was pretty nigh dead as they was to be married the week after Christmas. Well, sir, the morning for Christmas come, and then the afternoon come, and then the night come, and most ever hour somebody sent something for Miss Rachel, and yet not one scrap of nothing as big as a chinkapin come for Miss Nanny. Dinah and me was dat unrestless that we couldn't sleep. Miss Nanny didn't say nothing when she went to bed, but I see a little shadder creep over her face, and I knowed right away what hurted her. Well, the next morning, Christmas morning that was, old Sam come a-bustin' in the kitchen door, a-hollerin' loud as he could holler. Aunt Chloe was now rocking herself back and forth, clapping her hands as she talked. That there was a trunk on the front porch for Miss Nanny, that was that heavy it took four niggers to lift it. I run and Dinah run, and when we got to the trunk, most all the niggers was thick around it as flies, and Miss Nanny was standing over it reading a card with her name on it, and a scription saying that it was a Christmas gift with the compliments of a friend. But who that friend was? Well, it was Mars Henry who sent it that way so that that woman wouldn't tear his hair out or whether Miss Morgan sent it that hadn't more enough money to live on, or whether some of her own kin in Indiana that was dirt pole stole the money and sent it, or whether the young Dr. Tom Doling, who had more money than all the banks in Lexington, done did it. Don't nobody know to this day, except me and old Sam, and we ain't tellin'. But my soul alive, the insides of that trunk took the breath clean out of the mistress and Miss Rachel. Sam opened it, and I took out the things. Honey, there was a wedding dress, all white satin, that would stand alone, just the very made of the one you got in that picture for you, and a changeable silk, that heavy, and a plaid one, and everything a young lady could get on her back from her skin out, and a thousand-dollar watch and chain. I wore that watch myself. Miss Nanny was a-standin' by me, a-clappin' her hands and laughing, and when that watch and chain came out, she just throwed the chain over my neck and stuck the little watch in my bosom, and says, "'There, you dear old mammy, go look at yourself in the glass and see how fine you is.'" The next week come to wedding, I'll never forget that wedding to my dying day. Mars Tom Bolin driv in with a coach and four and two outriders, and the horses wore white ribbons on their ears, and the coachman had flowers in his coat most big as his head, and they whirled up in front of the porch, and out he stepped in his blue coat and brass buttons and a yellow waistcoat, yellow as a gourd, and his bell-crowned hat in his hand. 
she was a-waitin' for him with that white satin dress on and a chain round her neck and her little footses tied up with silk ribbons the very match of dem you got pictured and her face shinin' like an angel and all the niggers was a-standin' round the porch their eyes out in their heads and mars henry was there in his new clothes lookin' so grand and sam in his white gloves and me in a new head handkerchief everybody was happy except one that one was the mistress standin in the door she wouldn't come out to the coach where the horses was a chompin the bits and the froth a droppin on the ground and she wouldn't speak to mars tom she kept back in the doorway miss rachel was dat mean she wouldn't come downstairs miss nanny give mars tom bowling her hand and look up in his face like a queen and then she kissed mars henry and whispered something in his ear that nobody didn't hear only the tears gin to jump out and roll down his cheeks and then she looked the mistress full in the face and without a word dropped her a low curtsy i come to lass she looked at me for a minute with her eyes a-swimmin and then she throwed her arms round my neck and hugged and kissed me and then i see her arm slip around her waist and lift her in the coach and then the horses begin to plunge and they was off and after dat they had five years the happiest years dem two ever seen i know cause mars henry gimme to her and i lived with em day in and day out till that baby come and then aunt chloe stopped and reached out her hand as if to steady herself the tears were streaming down her cheeks then she advanced a step fixed her eyes on the portrait and in a voice broken with emotion said honey child honey child is you tired of waiting for your old mammy keep a watchin honey keep a watchin it won't be long now for i come keep a watchin end of section seventeen recording by larry green in tampa florida